Today we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Verse 13 through the rest of the chapter. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also surrendered for you, excuse me, suffered for you leaving you as an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, we've heard your words this morning in a very difficult uh, thing for us to do as human beings here on earth. But we ask, Lord, by your spirit, you would lead us through this and knowing, Lord, that the world around us is against us. We know you are for us. So we give you our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And so, um, how many of you remember when our cars and our trucks didn't have seat belts? How many of you didn't like that, that we had to have seat belts? Well, that's been around for a while now. In 1968, it was mandatory in the U.S. and in 1976 in Canada. And I do remember that time. Uh, It was a very different time, but a lot of people struggled with seatbelts. So much so, they just didn't bother to even buckle them up. There was one person, uh, specifically, a New Zealander from, his name is uh, Ivan Sedjadin, He took it to an extreme in New Zealand to the point where in a five-year period he was given 32 tickets for not having his seatbelt. Even though it kept costing him, he continued to not buckle up. And so finally, instead of obeying the law, he decided to rely on deception. And he made a fake seatbelt that would hang across his shoulder. And the trick worked for a while 
until he had a head-on collision and was thrown into the steering wheel and was killed. Discussing the accident, the coroner described the fake seatbelt as, though this car was fitted for seatbelts, an extra belt with a long strap was knotted above the seatbelt on the driver's side, providing a belt that simply laid on the shoulder, which made it look he was having a seatbelt on his shoulder, but he did not. The reality for this, uh, this man is if he had followed the government mandate, he probably could still be alive today. In our text for this morning, the Apostle Peter addresses this issue, not seatbelts in entirety or even specifically, but how we as Christians should follow the laws of the land. This is very relevant for us in these days, very much so. How do we respond to the laws in the land? It's relevant in the sense also that we still live in the midst of the legalization of killing unborn babies and murdering now adults who don't want to live anymore. We also have the legal authorization of people deciding if they want whatever gender they want to be. And if we don't accept that gender, then we become persecuted and opposed and also in trouble with the law. At the same time, the legalization of marijuana becomes a stain on our country and our culture because this is the future of health of our youth that we're thinking of, which means the health of the future of the world. Providentially, today's sermon is in the context of last week's uh, BCBC annual celebration where Jan Hedegel was here, talked about the issue of what is the kingdom of God for God's people. We should be living in the kingdom of God, brothers, amen? We should be doing it. And what the kingdom of God is all about is surrendering to authority, following and obeying the law of God. During our celebration, we had a pastor's forum. There was about 35 of us. We spent two hours sharing and chewing through the issues in cult that are in culture right now. All of these things we're talking about and how hard it is for our, it's coming our way really hard as far as the church and Christians. Today's sermon is also in the immediate context of the previous text where we learned a couple weeks ago that we as Christians are to shine as stars in this morally dark world that we live in. And we're to do so by pursuing holiness, Peter said. And so today we're looking at the issue of how can we be witnesses in Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, by living out our lives in submission to the governing authorities of our world? Peter starts by saying, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So Peter begins by talking about us being witnesses. He tells us to be subject. Now, that word 
basically means be in submission, submit yourself to something. In this context, submission is a divine blessing. We are to submit to God, which means then we resist the devil, the Bible tells us. And in doing so, when Jesus did that, when he submitted to God, he defeated the devil. But without submitting to God, we can't defeat the devil, who is always prowling around, the Bible says, looking to devour us. When we sin, we are submitting to the devil and not to God. Everyone submits. Everyone obeys either God or the devil. There's no in-between. No creature on earth is autonomous. None. It's a lie to think that there are self-governing people or even creatures in the world. Adam refused to obey God, and he obeyed the devil. As a result, now all humans sin, and all humans die. Paul speaks of this in Romans 5. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Every child of Adam that's conceived is born into sin and will die. And only Jesus can save us because he alone is without sin. In his perfect righteousness, he died in our place for our sins. And Paul declares, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no other Savior, brothers and sisters. Amen? Because Christ died for our sins, we can enjoy freedom from sin in the sense that we have the freedom to obey Jesus. We have the freedom to obey Jesus, who alone is our Lord. So we are free to submit to God. In every God-appointed human delegated authority, we are free, free to obey also. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This is our Christian call to civil obedience. Can't be more clear than that. We are to submit to the authorities at every level, whether it be the Supreme Court of Canada or the local court in Port Alberni. It doesn't matter what it's about. It could be laws about income tax or parking regulations or anything. We are to submit as a Christian obligation. This is restated over and over again in Scripture. Uh, Paul speaks of it in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And Jesus also speaks of this in Matthew 22 when he said, Render to Caesar all the things that are Caesar, and render to God the things that are God's. So what we're hearing here is there are things that are solely God's. Therefore, they cannot be given to Caesar. But Jesus is also saying that Caesar has a legitimate sphere of authority, and we are to submit to those things that are in that sphere. Civil disobedience by Christians simply cannot be justified in the Bible. Now, this is true even when the government is unjust. Now we're not going to like some of this stuff. 
The Roman government at the time of Peter was anything but just. Peter's not saying civil government or any kind of political regime will always conform to the will of God. They won't. Rome didn't. Our parliament doesn't. We just don't. What Peter is saying is that the core issue of civil governments, there is a justice that keeps things stable. The stance in scripture that takes that there's uh, pretty much some government, no matter what kind, is better than none. Revelation, excuse me, revolution or rebellion is not God's way to lead people because it sets in motion the whole set of dark forces that come into to our world and into our lives that tear and break down. So therefore, even bad government is better than none, God would say, because he's in charge. Because we live in a fallen society and fallen men and women will otherwise devour each other, there needs to be an agency of, of law in some sense. And civil government provides that. Therefore, Christians are not to rebel or overthrow the government because then you're going against God's will. It's a hard thing for us to accept. Hard for us. Because we are independent. We are entitlement-minded. We are rights-oriented. We have people like Donald Trump and Justin Trudeau and people we don't like, so we don't like this. But what does the Bible say? Submit to those leaders. Amen? That is a real quiet amen. (laughs) Real quiet one. Every human institution as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So here we're reading this. God institutes this and puts this in place. And Peter tells us that God is the one that put these things in motion in our society, whether it be local or national, because that is an extension of both the wrath of God and the righteousness of God in society. Government exists for, for God's sake to punish evildoers and to reward those who do good and right. That's what we see in the Bible the good kings did. In the, in the Old Testament, God's kings loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And also in the Bible, we know that the Messiah, <clears throat> who would ultimately be the, the just king, would be the one who hates iniquity and loves righteousness. And that's what the government is supposed to do. And it ought to reward those who are obedient and it ought to condemn and punish those who do injustice and disobedience. Now, even bad governments do that in a sense. This is God's way of dealing with the depravity and the rebellion of fallen human beings. For this is the will of God, Peter says, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So Peter is telling us that we as believers are to submit to these God-established, delegated authority because it is the will of God to show the good that we can do in obedience, which it says will silence those who are ignorant and foolish because they oppose God. 
Now, those without Christ are, uh, I would say, sinfully ignorant of the knowledge of God because they, most, almost everybody's heard something about God. Those without Christ uh, need to hear and see us in the way that we live our lives. And when we're obedient, we're showing that, that there is an authority that we respect. We don't see too much of that in the world anymore. And so Peter is saying that it's the will of God that we do good so that our godly character will shut the mouths of those who oppose and slander and persecute and hate God. We are foreordained to do this. This is not something that's just now in the Bible. We see this in Ephesians 2 where Paul writes, for we are his workmanship to do good things. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, so to do good, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I prepared you, I made you to do this. And in 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2, Peter also says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but the will of God. So we want... We have been saved so that we can do these things for Christ. And Peter says, live as people who are free, not just using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as living as servants of God. So what Peter's saying here is we are not to obey because we're forced or coerced, but because we're free. You go, that doesn't work that way. It works that way exactly. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So back in those days, under Roman law, a Roman soldier could command a citizen to carry his, his pack for one mile, and the citizen would have to do it. And so Jesus said in this area that if someone, some soldier makes you go one mile, then you go two. Why? to show them that you're free, to show them that you have a free will to obey God. We are not compelled to do it. We are not forced to do it, but we do it willingly. We do it willingly for our our community and our families and our country and for God. We are God's servants, it says right here. We're servants of God. We are free in regards of the law of the country, yet we are aliens We are exiles. We are pilgrims here in the sense of our responsibility before God. But Peter says, for his sake, submit, obey. Now, all of this doesn't mean that the civil government has ultimate authority in every area of our life. Peter tells us, in this passage, we are servants of God, not servants of Caesar. And there may come a time in our experience or in our lives as had occurred many times in history when men and women have to obey, but then other times when they have to disobey also. Respectfully, against ruling authority because the laws that we are forced to do violate clear principles of God. Should ever there be a law passed in our land that prohibits something God himself commands to us 
or there's a law in our land that commands us to do something God prohibits, we must respectfully rebel against and disobey. The apostles did it. The apostles did it. They went out on the streets and preached. They knew they would be thrown in prison. Um, They did it anyways. But they were respectful through the whole thing. I think that's where we've lost. This is where we've lost everything. We just hate when we do this. We just violently hate. Shouldn't be doing that. They went out in the streets and preached. They disobeyed. They know clearly that they were doing God's will because everything they were told contradicted God's word. That's why Peter then writes these words. Honor everyone, he says first. We must honor every human being because we all bear the image of God. Millions of slaves lived in times of the Roman Empire. They were treated not as persons, but as things. In fact, most people in the early church were slaves. But God's family in the church, in our midst, there should be no discrimination at all. Honor everyone. God's family, we honor everyone. How dare we despise any person who has Jesus in their hearts. Our countless murders of millions of unborn infants in the name of women's rights, while unborn babies are treated as non-persons with no rights. That's what we have in our country. We're also putting people to death who don't want to live anymore. We should be living out the gospel that makes people want to live. Christians should respect everyone, no matter who they are. Love the brotherhood too, Peter says. We are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. The early church consisted of many kinds of peoples, many kinds of backgrounds, mostly, again, poor people. Yet in God's wisdom, he says, he chose the foolish and the weak and the lowly and the despised and the nothings to shame the people who think that they are everything else. We are to love one another, love one another deeply because Jesus loved us and loves us and saves us. Fear God, he says. We must keep fearing God. Keeps us from sinning when we do. We must keep fearing God because he is our infinite, personal, holy, omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, redeemer, judge, Sovereign creator. He's everything. Ecclesiastes 12 says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Sounds like it's going to be scary for a bunch of us. Say amen to it anyways. Amen. The emperor, honor the emperor. We are to honor and keep honoring the emperor. Now, in Peter's day, that would have been tough, but it's tough for us today. But the emperor here stands for all delegated authorities. So children, obey your parents. If you don't, you will pay for it in due time. Christians, we are to obey our leaders in the church. If we don't, we'll be chastised at some point for not obeying God's ordained authority. Employees are to 
obey their employers. Students are to obey their teachers. Citizens are to obey the president, the prime minister, the police. All authority on earth is put in place by God. And it's here where Peter gives us an example and an application of the witness of submission in a relationship between slaves and owners who came to faith in Jesus Christ. A slave's lot in their day was pretty difficult. Uh, Most slaves in general were thought of as maybe animals because even sometimes they were branded. Many were kept in filthy, filthy places, barracks to live, and they were driven to the fields to do the work. They had no legal rights. Most of them weren't allowed to marry. If they did, uh, their children belonged to the master. Slaves were usually harshly treated and cruelly taken care of. And and the masters had the right of life and death over any slave. The truth is, back in those days, slaves were often a very restless and bitter group of people. And you could understand that. And so into this layer of society comes the gospel. And then the question that comes up real early, so now how do we as slaves respond to our masters? What should we do? And so Peter gives us the answer, uh, starting in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps." What does this mean to us today? Well, most of us today are not slaves. I'd say probably all of us. But we may feel like that. In one sense, we are, those of us who work a 40-plus hours, that amount of time that we work with that master, so to speak, we are enslaved to that. We're working for them. Peter says, in that context, we are to obey our employers. We'll get kind of scratchy here now. Peter says to obey them, do what they ask us to do, do it with respect, and don't complain about them at coffee breaks or outwardly talk behind their back, but to show respect and honor. And not only to the good and gentle, but also to the perverse and the wicked and the unjust and the, the, the uh, employers that ignore us and never thank us and never appreciate us. How should we react? Peter says we are to submit, to respect. Boy, that rubs against us, doesn't it? You guys are sitting pretty still. Now, this does not mean we cannot negotiate with an employer. Uh, We can ask for higher wages. We can ask for better conditions. We are free to leave if it's too much for us. But in general, it's not a good thing to run away from things that are hard. God usually puts them, always puts them in our lives to help us grow closely to him. He may want us to stay there in order to learn a lesson, but 
but we can talk to our player and try to set things straight, but Peter's point here is, whatever you do, maintain respect and obedience and submission and humility. Don't criticize or complain or get bitter or resentful or talk about them behind their back. Obey them in a spirit of reverence and honor. I know it's hard for a lot of us. Now, there's no word in the Bible specifically about employers. It does talk about masters and doesn't really give them any kind of uh, out. There's some scriptures that kind of keep them in line too, but that's not really the issue. Uh, God will take care of them. Peter then writes, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is if you sin and are beaten for it and endure? But if you do good and suffer you and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. I'm, I'm reading that again because do you hear that word gracious? That's our word that we know for grace, for getting something that you don't deserve. He's saying it when you are humble and obe- obedient and loving and respectful in the midst of all being entreat- mistreated, he says, that's an act of grace. It's an act of grace toward them. They don't deserve, right, to be respected, but we're showing grace. And where do we see this? We see this with Jesus hanging on the cross. As they're murdering him, he's asking God to forgive them. So a gracious thing here is to do what's not really expected of you, but that which we have free to do because we've been freed from by Jesus Christ. It's an act of grace when we patiently do the best we can, but we're still misunderstood and unjustly treated. Watchman Nee <clears throat> tells a story about a Chinese rice farmer. And there were a number of fields where he lived um, that were arranged in terraces on the side of a mountain. And uh, <clears throat> this farmer had a rice field that was pretty much toward the top. And what he had to do every day, he had this pedal device where he had to pump water into his field every morning. And he would do that, and what would happen is his, his neighbor below him would pull out um, holes in the dike, and then that get his water to drain down in his field. And so this went on for week after week and week, and finally the Chinese farmer went over and, and talked to him and says, it would appreciate if you wouldn't do that anymore. No, the guy says, I'm going to keep doing it. You're not going to stop me. So he kept trying to do it. And at some point, what he did was he got up in the morning and he filled his neighbor's dike first, and then he filled his. And everything is good after that. That's grace. That's grace, doing something you don't have to do, showing respect and love and care for someone who's hurting you. You just go ahead and do it. And that is a witness that takes people aback. Peter says that true grace is we do all we can to please our master. And if our master mistreats us, we're still patient, we're still kind, we're still loving. For to this you have been called, says, because Christ Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Again, we think of Jesus on the cross. Peter follows these words. Verses 22 through 25 are simply quotes 
out of Isaiah 53, which is the picture of the suffering servant for us. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his tree, on his body, on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you strain like sheep and have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In the context of being unjustly treated and in the face of taking a stand for Jesus in a world that opposes him, Peter reminds us that before Christ we were strained like sheep and that we still do that on occasion too. For you were strained from sheep. That's the old way you used to do it. The old way you used to do it is when things didn't go your way, you did your own way. When things didn't do that, he says, when you were strained like sheep, now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The witness of our submission to God and to those who have been placed in authority over us is the patient grace that we show those who are against us and who mistreat us because we are followers of Jesus Christ. Today, Peter is reminding us there'll be times when we encounter and have to live under unjust authority. When that happens, we need to remember it's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not out of God's hands. In fact, he's the one who put it together. In Romans 8, 31, 32, we know this. What shall we say about these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all? How will he not also graciously give us all things? We are called to be witnesses of the grace of God that we have received through Jesus Christ and live that out through all of the world and specifically, because Peter puts it pretty early, as we live under authority in this world, regardless how we are treated. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've shown us. And we ask, Lord, in these turbulent times, when it seems as if uh, there's so much rebellion, so much abuse in authority, so many things that don't seem to be going our way, especially for us who, who claim Christ in these days, we, we get angry when it seems as if we're being uh, pushed back or mistreated. Help us to know, Lord, that uh, this is of you and that uh, the more and more we're like Jesus, the better off we'll be. So help us with our attitudes. Help us with our hearts. Help us in these days when we have to make difficult decisions about what it costs to follow you. Give us your presence and your power and your preeminence, but most of all, your presence that we might know what to do. In the meantime, give us humble hearts and we bless you again for the cross and for the hope and the freedom that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.